This is the CMS Podcast for November 13th, 2009. I'm Jennifer Fiera, the Outreach Coordinator for the Gambit Game Lab at MIT. In this podcast, we'll be hearing from Professor Wayne Marshall. Wayne Marshall is an ethnomusicologist, blogger, DJ, and beginning this year, a Mellon Fellow in Foreign Languages and Literature at MIT. He's going to be giving his lecture on Skinny Jeans and Fruity Loops, the network publics of global youth culture. You can hear all the CMS podcasts on the iTunes store or on our website at cms.mit.edu. you're here uh, to hear Wayne Marshall uh, give his talk on skinny jeans and fruity loops. Uh, thank you for coming. I know it's a crazy, busy time of the semester, and I appreciate uh, seeing so many faces and such a big crowd. Thank you uh, for being here. Uh, I'm Ian Condry, uh, Foreign Languages and Literatures and Comparative Media Studies, uh, and I've been asked to do a brief introduction today. I'll keep it brief because we want to get uh, to Wayne uh, as soon as we can. Um, as you probably know, uh, Wayne is our, uh, one of our uh, Mellon postdoctoral fellows. It's a new fellowship here at MIT uh, in the humanities. Uh, it's a two-year postdoc, uh, and he'll be teaching uh, three courses uh, over the next three semesters, uh, starting next semester. Um, and uh, it's a really a great pleasure and honor. Those of you who have met Wayne know uh, that he's great fun to have around, a great resource, uh, and you'll learn more about his work today, and I encourage you. Uh, over the next uh, months and year and a half uh, to take advantage of Wayne, uh, and he's very available. Uh, <laughs> and you can ask Elizabeth why she's laughing uh, after the talk. Um, a couple, just a couple notes on Wayne, that he's doing his current project is on digital youth culture, translocal exchanges, and networked publics. Uh, we'll learn today uh, what that means uh, and what that's all about. Uh, he holds a PhD in ethnomusicology, uh, from the University of Wisconsin-Madison, uh, where he completed his dissertation on media, migration, uh, and nation. Uh, the dissertation itself was called Roots, Rap, Reggae, Colon, uh, Hearing the Histories of Hip-Hop and Reggae Together. Uh, and so it's a very interesting sort of transnational study of both reggae and hip-hop uh, that will make a big splash. Roots with a U. Roots with a U, exactly. I should say that. Roots with a U. Routes. Routes. Uh, <laughs> you, you lose the pun that way. But. Uh, all right. Yeah, exactly. Roots, roots. Should be roots slash roots. There's a little parentheses. Uh, uh, Wayne has taught uh, at a number of universities, including Harvard, uh, Chicago, and most recently at Brandeis. Uh, uh, and he's published both in the journalistic sphere at places like Boston Phoenix and Accelerator, uh, as well as academic publications including Popular Music, World Music, Latin American Music Review, and Callaloo. Uh, he is the co-editor of a very important volume, uh, edited volume called On Reggaeton, which is a Spanish language uh, form of hip-hop, uh, loosely defined, came out from Duke in 2009. Uh, he's also an active DJ. Uh, he has a rap album. I'm not sure if I'm, I'm supposed to be saying this, but he does have a rap album that you can download from iTunes uh, under, the, under the name Wayne and Wax. Uh, and it's got great songs. Like the moon. Hits like uh, Sexy Jesus. Oh, boy. Uh, and other, uh, other important and path-breaking uh, lyrical uh, experiments. Uh, so I encourage you to check that out. Uh, Wayne's classes uh, will be both on uh, digital culture, uh, music, and globalization uh, in this coming term. And he'll be teaching a class on reggae uh, next year as well. 
Uh, and you know what the thing I would say about Wayne, and, and sort of I've known Wayne uh, for a few years now, uh, participated in his class on global hip hop when he was at Brandeis, uh, but what has always impressed me about Wayne and why I think he's such a, a valuable addition to the community here at MIT is that he in many ways is the living embodiment of this new era of media where we need to study media and culture uh, not only uh, as representations, as things out there, uh, but in terms of production, in terms of participation, uh, in terms of community, uh, that these are really the key words for understanding how media and culture are developing in this current era of globalization. And Wayne, as a musician, uh, as an academic, as an analyst, as somebody who does field work uh, in the production of music and in the circulation, uh, of uh, these different kinds of cultural forms uh, is really, I think, a path-breaking and really interesting perspective uh, that we need and we can all learn from. Uh, so I think it's very exciting to have you here, Wayne. We appreciate uh, your participation. Uh, the last thing I want to mention is that there will be a reception uh, after uh, this talk uh, right next door here. Um, there are also more seats over here. Uh, people can work their way across. Um, and without further ado, please join me in welcoming Wayne Marshall. Thank you. Thank you, Ian, for your kind words. Thank you all for coming out tonight. Uh, I, I, appreciate, I appreciate having an audience, and I, I appreciate seeing so many people from FLL in particular and from CMS, and I'm sure there are people from other scattered parts of the university, and I, uh, I'm grateful to you all. It's a real pleasure to be uh, here at MIT, and it's a real pleasure to be here with you tonight and to have a chance to share with you some really some, some research in progress, I should say, um, but, but research that does emerge from and connects to some of my uh, previous work. Um, and, uh, and I'm going to get into all that in, in a moment. I have um, a couple disclaimers to begin with. One uh, is, is that uh, in a somewhat humbling and horrifying moment last night, my laptop died. Um, the laptop that I've been using for the last three or so months to do all of this research and other stuff and have not quite been backing up as well as I should um, is, is, is not booting. So uh, I had to scramble around today um, and, and I've got some stuff together. I've got the talk together. I mean, I, I'm, not trying to, I'm not, trying to, <laughs> not trying to undersell it or sell it short, but um, there are some things that, that I've lost, you know, a lot of screenshots I've been taking, things I've been archiving, and also notes I've been taking, you know. And so in particular, I'm afraid that I'm going to be uh, a little short on particular quotations and citations that I would have been able to make, but n now are back in that mode of time and on my bookshelf and not as accessible as they would be. But I'm going to do my best to articulate throughout connections to contemporary scholarship, um, much of which actually it comes out of the CMS program here. So uh, it's another really reason I'm, I'm glad to be here. The second disclaimer is about language. Um, being in FLNL, we're, we're uh, acutely aware uh, to issues of language. Um, but in particular, I mean that we'll be seeing some occasionally um, unsavory language. We're talking about you know, internet discourse here and YouTube comment threads. And so I just want to um, uh, let you know, especially for the sensitive among us, that there will be some, uh, at times, um, inflammatory, offensive, uh, 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 language that might pop up here and there. So, uh, without further ado, Skinny Jeans and Fruity Loops, uh, the network publics of global youth culture, and I'll do my best to, to sort of tease these things out um, as I go. Um, I want to begin by saying that Skinny Jeans and Fruity Loops, uh, although I'm, I'm very interested in these as specific 
um, uh, things, uh, cultural forms, technologies, uh, uh, they're also shorthands for, for a much um, broader set of, of circulating practices, uh, one, one of which is, as you can see here, uh, skinny jeans, and, and in particular uh, in, a, in, a, in a fluorescent day-glow uh, sort of uh, manifestation. Um, Fruity Loops is a popular software program that's used to make music um, and circulates all over the globe, both illicitly and, and not illicitly, and um, is uh, almost sort of, I, I want to say surprisingly, but it's certainly remarkably uh, at the heart of a lot of thriving digital youth music culture. Um, and that's one reason that I say it. But also, um, uh, there's, a, there's, a, there's a nice bit of sort of relationality between these things. Um, and uh, somebody wrote to me on email this week and said, um, you know, uh, good luck with your talk on fruity jeans and skinny loops. And, um, uh, you know, you can make that, 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 that inversion okay. And in fact, as, as you'll see, skinny jeans are often con construed as fruity jeans. And I'll get into that um, a as we go. So another sort of clever, catchy title, I'm, I'm a sucker for these things, um, is uh, Brave New World Music. And I, I've been using this in a way to, to frame my broader project that I'm working on while I'm here for the next two years. And uh, I, I like it for a couple reasons. One, I, I, I do deal with the concept of world music. And so I'm interested in the idea of how the notion of world music, as, as with the notion of a world, uh, perhaps changes in, in, a, in a moment when we have a lot more connectivity um, uh, across the world, um, a bit more horizontality. I don't want to necessarily say that, uh, I certainly don't want to say that there aren't still a lot of hierarchies and asymmetries and things, but, um, but increasingly we're seeing a lot of connection. We're seeing a certain amount of decentering of, of the former uh, you know, producers uh, and consumers of the world who could look out at a world out there, um, uh, among other things. But I'm also interested in thinking about it as uh, uh, the music of a brave new world. And of course, I'm, I'm nodding to Huxley there, and um, part of my sort of symbolic engagement with Huxley's text does have to do with, with the utopian or dystopian currents running through uh, these practices and, and the discourses around them. So a lot of what I'm doing, uh, as I mentioned, sort of extends the work that I've been doing that goes, goes back to my dissertation on the migration of, of people, uh, of media, and of ideologies, among other things, ideologies about race, about nation, about selfhood and otherness, uh, in the age of, of what people uh, call the social web. Um, some people call it uh, Web 2.0 in the sort of more... Um, you know, markety, uh, trendy circles, um, but generally it's a recognition that that new web technologies, uh, especially since since 2000 or so, um, are increasingly socially networked, and that the web is something that we're sort of uh, collectively producing as much as we may be consuming it as we go. Um, uh, this 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 sort of dichotomy between consumption and, and production is is also one that uh, that I'll I'll, I'll get at. Um, I'm interested in translocal circulation, right? So how are things moving from one place to another? Um, but more importantly, or at least at the same time, with local meaning. So what does, it, what does something mean once it comes to a new place from another place, especially if it's marked as, as quote-unquote foreign? Um, uh, and, and in particular, how media and especially music works in, in, in self-fashioning. Uh, and, and when I talk about self-fashioning, I, I, I like somehow posing selfhood to nationhood, but self-fashioning in a variety of ways, you know, uh, in, in, in terms of um, <clears throat> uh, everything from nation to, to race, gender, uh, sexuality, all of which swirl in and out of this, this skinny jeans stuff. Now, I say especially music, and I, I don't, it's, it's not a sort of perfunctory nod to my home discipline. Um, I, 
you know, I, I have a certain bias toward, toward thinking about music's significance and importance in society, but I actually find that music is remarkably present and even propulsive in a lot of this uh, activity on the social web. If you look at, you know, the most viewed videos on YouTube, uh, if you look at a lot of the activity happening there, it's remarkable how much of that is, is suffused with music. Um, so, uh, and the same goes for, for sites like, uh, like MySpace. And so on, and so it's it's again it's uh, I, I I'm I'm very interested in, in why music and also why dance, uh, and there's also I think been a, a kind of rise in uh, or kind of efflorescence of of dance in this age of um, of music video in particular, uh, as as we'll be seeing. Um, and so on the one hand, uh, you know, I think it supports an argument for the significance of music in society and culture. On the other hand, I think that the, the, the sort of the way that music circulates in, in, uh, on the web, uh, oftentimes with a visual component, also undermines some of that, that audio bias. So, um, And then I'm interested in, as I was saying with, with regard to local meaning, the cultural work being done. What, 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 what is happening in the realm of culture? How, how are categories being challenged, being changed, uh, transformed, uh, reified, um, uh, maintained, and so forth? In light of, of what, I'm, what I'm seeing uh, as, as vibrant, dynamic, peer-to-peer um, -peer industry. Uh, so uh, I, I've been enamored of this idea of industry, not in terms of, say, for instance, the music industry, uh, you know, which, which was a way of a, a small number of companies basically uh, not just asserting but recognizing that they had uh, a monopoly on the means of production and distribution. I really don't think that's true anymore. At this point, what, what we bear witness to when we look at music and dance on YouTube, for instance, is an amazing amount of, of, of peer-based production um, and an amazing amount of industry, if you will, um, which is not tied to, to old um, uh, corporate structures and which is much more of a grassroots phenomenon, although there are, as, as we'll see, lots of ways in which uh, commercial entities uh, you know, co-opt that kind of activity, uh, siphon it, and, and so forth. Uh, and here we get a couple other sort of um, uh, terms that need some unpacking. Care of digital natives in network publics. Digital natives is a term that I'm not necessarily... Uh, interested investing in too much, uh, it's been used to describe people who grew up in an age when, when they, they, the digital is, is all around them. They're, they're, they're fully immersed in, in digital media, uh, digital devices, and so forth. Uh, and so there's a degree to which their learning uh, is, is already sort of uh, predicated on that, um, on, on being in these kinds of uh, digital media ecologies. People counterpose that to the idea of a digital immigrant. Um, I, and when we start to draw these lines too starkly, they, they, they can break down in lots of funny ways. I don't know where I fit in, for instance, in, in this dichotomy. Um, but, but I do think there is something to recognizing that a lot of people are increasingly growing up in, that, in this kind of, of digital media sphere. Network publics is a term uh, that I'm using here um, a, in a way that, again, recognizes, if you will, the sort of degree to which peer production is, is driving a lot of this activity. So I'm not talking about you know, uh, producers and consumers. We're not talking about an audience, per se. We're talking about a, a, a public sphere, or we're talking about lots of public spheres um, that, are, uh, that are created through participation, um, through, through sharing various kinds of um, activities, knowledge, uh, forms, and, and so forth. 
And as we'll see, uh, or as I, 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 I've been seeing, as I'll try to argue, um, some, of this, some of these network publics um, constituted by digital natives, especially in the skinny jeans realm, um, have, are significant insofar as they um, seem to, to serve as, as sort of ruptures or, 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 or disruptions in um, more established public spheres. Um, I'll get into some implications for education and policy and, and community, notions of community, um, uh, toward the end here. And I just want to note that this is, you know, a, a, as ethnomusicology always is, this is really being informed by a, a range of, of um, perspectives of, of disciplinary orientations from the anthropology and, and ethnomusicology of globalization to um, really emerging work in the digital humanities and social sciences, also media studies and cultural studies, of course. And there have been, in the last few years, some pretty um, significant and, and, for me, useful large-scale ethnographic studies of digital youth culture um, uh, that I'll be drawing um, fairly strongly from today, um, among others, the... Uh, the project uh, organized at Berkeley by uh, Mimi Ito and some others on living and learning with new media, um, a recent book by Craig Watkins called The Young and the Digital, um, John Palfrey and Urs Gasser's work at the Berkman Center, uh, and so forth. And of course, of course, our um, uh, erstwhile colleague, Henry Jenkins. Okay, so uh, I'm going to sort of dive in for a second and then we'll step back again. How me look, uh, asked in a kind of uh, Jamaican patois, um, a, like a Jamaican, B, like a hipster from Harlem or Brooklyn, C, like a nerd, D, gay. Um, and I, I, I throw these up, uh, so, you know, somewhat jokingly, but these are, in a certain way, uh, the categories that emerge from this question being posed on YouTube by this kid, uh, this kid who goes by 225Milo and has his own YouTube channel and um, has uploaded a number of videos of him dancing to uh, reggae music, generally, reggae music that's been produced in Brooklyn by other um, uh, second and third generation uh, Jamaicans growing up there. Um, and as you can see, I think pretty clearly, he's, he's wearing skinny jeans uh, and, and, and flashy shoes, uh, some flashy sort of nerdy space-age sunglasses. And, um, and as you'll see, his, his moves, uh, his dance moves uh, have a sort of analogous form to them as well. So I'm going to sort of jump out of this for a minute, and we're going to look at a video. Here we are. Free agent dancer. He's not associated with a crew. Dance crews are a real, a real thing in, in dance hall culture. Oh, my God. 
Now, I want to call attention to a few things that we're seeing here, uh, seeing and hearing. Um, one being the, the chorus of the song, my shirt, my jacket, tell me are they matching, or uh, all the girls are watching, how, how do I look, how me look, uh, my shoes, my glasses, tell me are they matching, how me look. So there's a, there's a focus on the visual and on, on this, this kind of sartorial self-presentation. But I also want to note that... Uh, you know, the, the, the singer uh, is, is, again, sort of interpolates himself as a, a heterosexual male. You know, all the girls are watching, right? So this, the, the, this, I, I bring that up because the, these skinny jeans are often um, seen as or demeaned as, um, uh, uh, as less than straight, as, as, as gay, as other kinds of uh, non-macho sort of uh, forms. Um, I'm just going to fast forward a little bit because we jump. <laughs> we jump to somewhere else in New York City uh, where he's dancing out in the middle of a sort of construction zone with lots of street uh, cars and, and things going by. And, and part of what I want to call attention to there is just the, the, the publicness of this. And, and so many of these dance videos that um, uh, feature kids in skinny jeans um, are, uh, well, they're, they're, they're in sort of one of two classes of places. One is these kinds of public spaces, quite obviously public spaces. The other uh, is in more private spaces, bedrooms, uh, living rooms, uh, garages, front lawns. Um, uh, and, and there's a blurring of, of public and private there that, um, that, that's, that's kind of crucial and that I'll, I'll come back to in a little while. Um, I want to talk a little bit before about the reception of this video and the, the sort of discourse around it. And if, uh, you know, we could scroll down right here and, and, and look at the comments. Um, uh, so, uh, again, uh, <laughs> be, beware. Um, but, uh, you know, we, we see some funny things like this person just saying, you know, laughing my ass off, shaking my head, damn Harlem heads, right? Uh, say, sort of typifying him as a Harlem hipster in this case. You know, what are you guys doing? Uh, we get a, a sort of Jamaican style, oh, what their ass, you know, like, what are you doing? What's going on? Um, with, but again, the valence isn't very clear on that. We get other people who weigh in, um, you know, and, and here really actually do uh, sort of uh, cite uh, their community. There's a clear way in which we're seeing this as a kind of social networking. Brooklyn, Queens, link up, crazy Chris, Weddy family. So this is a reference to a local crew. Um, and there's actually, you know, you'll note that there's a fair amount of, of praise uh, and there's a, there's a fair amount of, um, of criticism. I, I, if you hit this show more comments thing, we can see the rest of them. And I want to actually point to a few of them. I, I've done that over here. Um, so one in particular, um, <clears throat> let's see here. Yes, uh, you get you get the idea. All right, so I mean, here's somebody just saying "tight pants, boy," which again, the the valence is not very clear. Uh, that could be celebratory. That could be uh, a threat. <laughs> um, uh, a little later down, or, or actually, I should say, a little early on, because we're going in sort of reverse chronological order here. Here we say, uh, somebody says, leave the dancing to true dancers, obviously saying that they're not a good dancer. Somebody else says, him style mad, so easy. His style's actually really cool, so leave him alone, right? Um, and for, the, for the, the, the language people in this room, I just want to note that, you know, this, this kind of, parsing this kind of thing is not always so easy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> not so easy. Uh, and, and I've been doing my best to catch up with, with chat room Spanish, um, but I might, I might have to ask some of my colleagues for some help on that. Uh, we'll, we'll have to talk about it. Um, 
And then there's a, there's, a, there's a comment a little later from a guy who calls himself Mr. Jamaica. Uh, and he says, my youth, if you come a sea breeze with an handicap dancing there, you will be dead. <laughs> he says, if you come to my neighborhood and bust those, those wonky moves, uh, that's the end of you. And I, I, I appreciate Milo's response. He says, oh, geez, man, thanks for the advice. I was about to go over there with my handicap moves. <laughs> so, which, which is a nice example of how these, these, the, the distance that these technologies provides allows for a certain working out of, of some of these tensions um, without it coming to, uh, to, to the kind of violence that's threatened here. Sometimes uh, it, it, these things do spill out of cyberspace into, uh, quote-unquote, meat space, um, which is a term I might use from time to time, and I hope people don't find it too gross. Um, but uh, anyway, I, I mean, for me, thinking about, especially as this relates to my dissertation work, thinking about, well, um, how does what's happening in diaspora relate to circulate back home, and, and, and how, do, how do these networks sort of work themselves out? This is a fascinating example of contemporary Jamaican culture in New York, um, and, and a sort of kind of, of public conversation that develops around it, which is both ultra-local and, and totally translocal. Um, and some of the issues that we see bubbling out of here are both kind of a kind of peer-to-peer -peer praise. And, uh, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know too much about who Mr. Jamaica is, but a, a, there's also a certain amount of a, a, a kind of um, outsider but representative of the same culture um, basically trying to police what they see as, as activity that, that doesn't fit in so well. So um, maybe you have a, a, a choice here, but it's a, it's a, a trick question. Okay, so how, how we look, um, talking a little bit about di digital ethnomusicology, um, uh, and, and I put look in quotes there because I always, I'm always tripped up by these visual metaphors we use all the time as somebody who thinks a lot about sound. Um, they're, they're really kind of hard to get around. Um, and I'm, we're looking at that video, but, but we're also listening. Uh, so I just wanted to point that out. Um, so one of the big questions I'm asking these days is how, is how is music driving technology? As I was saying before, we witness musical activity at the center of so many of these platforms. Um, uh, the other question then, though, as I mentioned, is how is technology affecting musical practice? Is there a, a degree to which, you know, we, we perceive music in its historical and technological time, and this, this idea of the sound recording as separated from, from some kind of, you know, visual real space performance uh, was a product of the 20th century and 20th century recording technologies. And, and now that broadband uh, has, has arrived for, for some of us, uh, for a good, for a lot of people, though, um, how does this sort of resurgence of the visual affect musical practice? Uh, and then, of course, how do values uh, inform and emerge from these practices? And I'll be getting at that as we go. Well, what, what do we see? Again, I think that, and, and I'll have some examples here after, after the Jamaica one to show you, we see a great deal of peer-to-peer -peer industry, uh, of vibrant culture, and of new, new publics being formed and worked out. Um, we also see uh, a fair amount of uncritical celebration of the global and the digital, as if that's, that's sort of something that we take for granted. And what I'm not trying to show you today is uh, uh, look at all this stuff flying around. You know, I mean, I kind of want to take that for granted. There's a lot of stuff flying around now. Um, and, well, what, what's it doing in particular places? Um, uh, and so in that sense, I want to challenge a few sort of common but false dichotomies between global and local, between digital and, and meaty, and between public and private. And the public-private divide is, is a particular interesting one, uh, it, particularly interesting, especially um, in the ways that, that insights about that have emerged through some of this digital ethnography of the last few years. So skinny jeans, trans nation. Um, uh, 
no. I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to claim that there's some sort of skinny jeans nation emerging worldwide and, and that there's a, a unified youth politics to that. No. Um, but there are a remarkable number of, of, of consistent threads running through all these things and all these places. One, of course, is the, this kind of uh, sartorial choice uh, of using um, tight-fitting clothing, really brash colors. Um, the other is, is this kind of geeky dancing, uh, this, in particular, a kind of dancing that is, um, is a, little bit, uh, a little bit wonkier than, than your typical club grind. Um, and also, uh, obviously, the embrace of these technologies. We see that especially in this middle photo, which is of the floggers from Argentina. Um, and it's got this word photo on it for that reason. Um, and, and I'll get into the floggers in, in some more detail later. Um, uh, but, you know, another remarkable thing about this is that it, it really is youth culture. Uh, I've been struck by how many times in the last few years um, uh, some of the, the, the real driving figures in these scenes are, are basically 17-year-olds. Okay, so case, the first case study I wanted to show you uh, in, in a little bit of depth is Jerkin, uh, which comes out of uh, Los Angeles. Um, uh, it's a kind of hip-hop approach in Los Angeles that, that has its own uh, special name, um, <laughs> which does not, it's not always the easiest thing to search for on YouTube. Um, and it's, it's further complicated by the idea that, uh, for some reason, they also use the terminology getting off, uh, which is their, their way of saying that they're really getting into the dance and they're really they're, they're going for it. Um, but, but if you combine those search terms, you get very other, very different things. Um, so one thing I do want to note is this amazing efflorescence of dance scenes and styles, um, especially but not limited to African-American regional forms in the age of YouTube. Uh, and um, you know, a lot of people talk about uh, Soldier Boy and the crank dance, crank that phenomenon. Um, but you know, we can see this on a much more grassroots level. You can see that the, you know, if you go on YouTube and type any of these terms, you'll see dozens, if not hundreds, of videos of people dancing in Harlem to the, the chicken noodle soup, uh, doing the Wu Tang in Philly, um, doing Buckin in, in Memphis, um, a, a variety of dances, including the Dallas Boogie and the Dougie out of Dallas. Um, uh, all these sort of subcultures, which find. Uh, 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 an outlet of expression on places like YouTube and MySpace, and as a result, not only can shore up local peer-to-peer -peer connections, but also then tr travel translocally. Uh, these are communities of, um, of of both friendship and affinity, uh, by which I mean that there are actual, you know, these are these are peer groups. These are actual, uh, you know, friends connecting through these these social networking sites, uh, and that's uh, that, that's I think an important lesson to draw from a lot of the, the 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 sort of work on digital youth cultures in recent years is that for the most part, you know, when when young people are going online, they're not going online to be in the world. They're going online to be with their friends, right? That they're going there to 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 to, to connect with and reconnect and 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 and. Make Maintain those those relationships. Um, sometimes, though, it's 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 more a matter of affinity of being interested in a particular dance or music style, um, and uh, and as I was saying, that that once these things get out there, that they can circulate trans locally. But uh, but it, again, it's not so much that people want to project themselves to the world. That's part of what happens. But oftentimes, it's directed at a much more local community. Uh, and one one phrase that. Um, Again, I, I, I lost my laptop, but it was either Clay Shirky or Craig Watkins who says that this stuff is 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 basically um, public by default, but it's but it's but it's intended to be 
or it's not intended to be private, but it's, it's, it's often thought of as private. Actually, Clay Shirky, I'm sure he's the one who tells the story, who says, you know, you could go to a food court at a mall and sit next to a table of teenagers and, and, and eavesdrop on their conversation, which wouldn't be really very different from going to a chat room and, and eavesdropping on their conversation, but you'd be the weird one in that case, right? Not them for, for making public whatever it is that they're making public. So I, I think that's an interesting um, insight in its way. What I want to look at in particular with Jerkin is, is what we might think of as the social web media topography. What are, what are, the, what are the resources that these, uh, that these kids, mostly in L.A., but, 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 but circulating more widely now, are using? Uh, and, and what is the, you know, the importance or the significance of that? Um, MySpace, uh, actually, interestingly enough, proves to be a very uh, important site in the Jerkin scene. I say interestingly enough because there has been some recent... Um, research um, by Dana Boyd and also by Esther Harjitai on uh, what they're sort of referring to as, uh, as both white flight from MySpace and a kind of digital gating where we start to see certain kinds of social divisions reproduced in the online world. So some of that work, which, which is both quantitative and quali qualitative, looks at um, perceptions of MySpace as being a, a colored place uh, a, a, and perce perceptions of Facebook as being a clean place, a professional place, and, and all of these other signifiers that do open into, into ideas about racial difference. But there are some other things that make MySpace important, one being that you actually have a lot more control over how your page looks on MySpace than in Facebook. They're a lot more customizable. And so there's a do-it-yourself quality that, uh, that's, a, that's a part of that. Uh, there's also a way in which it's more read-write, uh, you know, that, that, that people are... Read-write is a, a sort of recent uh, term people are using to describe, again, um, uh, Web 2.0 and other technologies like that that allow us not simply to consume information but to produce uh, as well. Um, and Craig Watkins notes that a lot of the MySpace profiles uh, have a certain theatrical and aspirational quality to them, um, which I don't think should surprise us necessarily, both because we're sort of going into the virtual, but because, I mean, we're talking about teenagers here. I mean, what else are you but theatrical and aspirational <laughs> as a teenager, right? Uh, not, to, not to be essentialist about it, but... Um, here uh, is an example, um, although not a great example, I'll tell you why, of um, a MySpace page associated with Jerkin. Here is the New Boys MySpace page. Uh, and I say it's, um, it's a little, uh, <coughs> whoa. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's, it's not the greatest representative because these guys have actually found a, a fair amount of success recently. And so they have big budgets now and probably a design team that are, uh, that are working on their page. You know, we get automatic links to Best Buy, you know, download your iPhone app, you know, I mean, the, the, it's really been integrated into this, this kind of commercial culture. Um, and at the same time, when you, when you see interviews with, with these guys, what, they're, what they always come back to is that it was MySpace that got their stuff out there. And actually what they often point to is that it was a video that they posted to their own song uh, on MySpace that, as they put it, jumped to YouTube and then got a whole lot of views and, and really got, their, got, got them out there, um, made them, uh, made them the, uh, the, the hit that they became. Uh, another, so, so they have their own YouTube channel as well. And here, you know, you can watch all of the videos that they've uploaded, um, uh, some of which, especially, you know, recently since they've, they've found some fame, get a fair number of hits. I mean, this is a relatively recent video they put up here, which already has 800,000 views. 
Um, their, their big song, You're a Jerk, uh, as you see, has 18 million, almost 19 million views, which is not too shabby. Uh, the number one viewed uh, video on YouTube now has 133 million views or something like that, just to give you a sense of the numbers. Uh, that's, of course, the, the, the great Charlie bit my finger, if, you, uh, if you're not familiar with it. <laughs> uh, and um, uh, at any rate, so that's, that's a lot of views. Um, uh, I want to give you a quick taste of this video, um, which, which also serves to kind of um, highlight a number of, of, of crucial jerk styles and practices, including the, the wonky dance style I've been talking about. <clears throat> if it will. Beach ball. Okay. Well, <laughs> as we're waiting, another thing I want to note in terms of YouTube that, I mean, it's important for them as a way of getting their videos out there. It's also uh, important, I'm just getting laptop failure all around here. Okay. Whoa. All right. Again, note the prominent uh, place that these, these cell phones play in this style. Note the skinny jeans, the day-glow collars, the geeky dance moves, one of which, that, 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 that backwards shuffling one, is, uh, is actually, as they describe it, a, a backwards version of the running man. Uh, and is known as the reject, just to give you a sense of how this, these kind of ideas about geekiness uh, flow through all of this. Alright, so got geeked up, in fact, everybody jerking, he said. And, and uh, so geek is even part of the discourse itself. Um, other interviews with these guys uh, have revealed that it was actually on YouTube that they learned how to produce music. They watched Fruity Loops tutorials on YouTube, right? So uh, that, that kind of thing is, is also a big part of this, is sharing, sharing knowledge, sharing how to dance, you know, sort of videos, as, as well as how to produce, how to make a jerkin track, how to make other kinds of tracks. Um, and other, other crews, other groups, uh, you know, see the the importance of, of this sort of thing and, and use YouTube then, and, and in particular the social networking aspects of it, to, um, to connect. Uh, I recently referred to YouTube as a social networking site and got some, some sort of pushback from someone who said, well, no, it's just a, a place where people go to watch videos. And that's true for some people. But then there are a lot more people, uh, like the 5,000 people who've left comments here, who uh, actually are using it as a social networking site. Um, and uh, who will use these kinds of comments to point to their own site and so forth, which is how I stumbled across um, the uh, ABC Kids, uh, who are a Canadian jerk crew, uh, who are doing their best uh, to put themselves on the map. Um, as you see, they have a, a, a much more humble num set of numbers, you know, 9,000 views for their best viewed video, uh, for instance. Um, but I also just want to show, there's, in terms of you know, media topography, the degree to which they're, they're, they're savvy about this. You know, I mean, we've, we get their, um, their AIM here, we get their, their Facebook names, 
we get a link to their live streaming television channel. We get a link to their uh, an, another MySpace, uh, and then um, you know they ask you to to subscribe to their various things and, and that sort of thing. Uh, And I just wanted to show that if you went to YouTube and searched for something like Jerkin, um, you turn up a whole lot of stuff. You turn up over 62,000 videos uh, at this point, not all of which are <laughs> related to this LA uh, hip hop phenomenon. Um, but as you can see, just in terms of the way that, that YouTube is parsing it, uh, a lot of them are, a lot of the results are relevant, um, that, that they, they, they do tend to be about this. And, and we see some funny things in the names like Power Rangers and so forth, that there's a kind of nostalgia for, for, for their childhood, which is the 1990s, <laughs> uh, which is um, <laughs> always a, a humbling thing to, to think of. Um, and, uh, and also just, just kind of reminds us of the, the quick turnover in, in, in a lot of popular culture. Um, uh, or, uh, or as my colleague uh, uh, Joel would put it, obsolescence. Um, uh, so, uh, among other things, what you find here, just to just to show you, is uh, uh, here's a tutorial, the uh, "Teach Me How to Jerk" instructional video, which has 3.6 million views. I mean, it's it's a it's a popular thing, uh, and in fact, doing this kind of of sharing uh, is a big way of 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 finding um, of finding an audience of of of, of Gaining some popularity, uh, so there's a, a you know a return that comes with that sharing, not a monetary return, but a, um, <clears throat> but a sort of peer-based attention popularity return. Uh, as I mentioned, they they ha they've uh, a lot of these jerk and crews are using these um, live streaming stations now, like UStream and Justin TV, where they'll have, I mean, in this case, they're not actually on there, but sometimes they'll come on and they'll basically be chatting with their fans. And then the whole, the, there's a whole chat room on the side, too, where even though nobody's been doing anything on here for, for many days, there's actually a live conversation going on here. I, I logged in at 2.11 uh, 2 um, this afternoon, and I mean, like that much, <laughs> which is a lot, has, has been written since then. Um, the new boys are often also, of course, on Twitter. Um, uh, as, a, as a crew, they have almost 40,000 followers, which isn't insignificant. That means everything that they put out Everything that they they they, they tweet uh, gets uh, potentially seen by forty thousand people. But also they've they've arranged it quite cleverly so that um, with their individual accounts they they both get posted to this. And if you go to their individual accounts as individuals, they've actually got fifty thousand or so um, followers each. So there's a there's a way in which people are are connecting to them more as individuals, which is which is kind of interesting. You can also find a whole um, sort of internet radio station devoted to Jerkin, uh, where, where people can apply to be a DJ, can, can create their own programs, which then get aired and that sort of thing. So, you know, um, in, terms of, uh, in terms of vibrancy, I think there's, there's something pretty undeniable about just uh, the level of activity happening. Now, let me see if my laptop will co cooperate. I want to, aha, okay. Um, I didn't get to digitaldrip.com, which is, which is basically a distribution site. It's where you can send your MP3 of your new production uh, to be posted for others to download. Uh, and that's a very popular site where that's happening. It's currently down, um, in part, I think, because of copyright infringement issues. Because it's not just this sort of grassroots, peer-to-peer-based music that gets posted there. It's also commercial music as well. Um, but I also want to think about 
about this stuff, uh, not just in its own terms as showing us a certain kind of vibrancy, both local and translocal, but, um, but also in terms of the local work that it's doing. Um, and here I've been thinking a, a lot about MySpace and YouTube as uh, mirror stages, if you will, sort of uh, a kind of um, casual Lacanism that's, that, that, that's seeing uh, that, that the, the web, the camera, uh, uh, the, the screen, has a kind of mirror and a stage quality to it. That whereas kids used to dance in their bedrooms in front of their mirrors, now they dance in front of their camera. And they're still sort of doing it for themselves and maybe for a few of their friends. And it just so happens that everybody else in the world can watch it once they've posted it. So just to come back to the private public thing. Uh, and a lot of the work that's been done on digital youth culture recently uh, does seem to affirm that, that, that um, young people approach these sites with a fair amount of, um, uh, of play and performance in mind as they, as they sort of you know, shape their, their online identities, which correspond to varying degrees with their uh, offline identities. Um, this uh, jerkin and, and, and skinny jeans uh, sort of cultures more generally have um, obviously been doing a fair amount of, of unsettling and undermining of, of a number of cultural mores, especially uh, with regard to race and gender. Um, and so I wanted to just show you um, uh, the, um, I mean, you can look at the comment threads on any of these videos and see a, a whole lot of uh, heated discussion about um, skinny jeans and whether they make you gay or not. Um, the, the new boys get asked this in almost every interview, and I just want to highlight one of their answers very, very quickly here. Hello. My name is Daisy. My name is James A. What's that? We are the new boys. Hey. You're a jerk. Let me explain this out to you. He said, he said skinny jeans and the whole bright colors. <laughs> so he, says, he says, in the olden days, well, not really the olden days, a couple years back. Yeah? So talk about turnover here, yeah? All right, so yeah, he's talking about this, this, this Vogue for big, baggy, white T-shirts and, and you know, a much more reserved style in a way, of, uh, and, uh, and contrasting that with the, the jerkin movement and this love of, of bright colors and, and, and tight, uh, tight pants and so forth. Um, now, I, I don't want to go into it too much, but again, you can find a whole lot of debate uh, about this. Um, uh, and uh, you also find a fair amount of debate about, um, you know, whether or not this is, this is something of, of, of quality, right? That uh, people look at this kind of um, peer-produced culture, they look, at, they look at it and they see amateurism, they see, uh, they see a lack of virtuosity, they see a, what they see as a lack of, of production values. And so you often see those things um, brought into the discourse as well. Um, uh, and to some extent, it 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 it, uh, it depends on whether you 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 align yourself with this kind of participatory culture or with a with a professional culture um, that produces a, a smaller number of things um, for an audience. Um, this is another instance in which there's a certain kind of challenging uh, of social. Um, categories, as well as, a, I, I think, a, an undeniable amount of playfulness. Here is a Jerkin song 
um, uh, produced by some, I believe, some people from LA um, uh, called White Girl Clothes. Um, and, uh, you know, this kind of thing is fairly common on YouTube where all you get really is uh, the title of the song, um, some, some background color, and, and YouTube is here being used as an audio archive. It, it, it's not too important that, you know, that there's a video component. Um, and so YouTube is this really important kind of willy-nilly archive of all kinds of things that are being produced, um, which does have repercussions um, insofar as, uh, you know, the, the lifespan of these things as well, because some of them do end up getting removed uh, for copyright infringements, uh, whether, whether spurious or not. I, and I'm, I'm sorry that we're having such uh, a glitchy time watching these videos. I don't know why that is. I've got the Ethernet in and everything. The track is the, the, the musical track is a pretty classic Fruity Loops production, very spare, minimal. All right, so there, there's, a, there's a funny thing going on, right, where this girl is, is boasting about being able to dress like a white girl. She got her white girl on. Uh, you know, she's, she's not wearing the typical urban wear. She's, she's wearing other kinds of things. Um, uh, and, and so here she's obviously sort of playing with these racial categories, but it's also true that this is happening in Los Angeles, that, that, that young people of color are putting on clothes that they're not expected to wear. And, and seeing that as a kind of vanguard kind of, kind of flaneur uh, practice. Um, and you do end up getting uh, uh, you know, plenty of, of resistance to that. Um, uh, not necessarily, the, actually the comments have been disabled for this video, tellingly. Um, uh, as well as affirmation from, from, from peers uh, who are uh, you know, equally sort of uh, playful about these things. Um, uh, not that I want to dismiss it all or, or affirm it all as, as play. Uh, it does get more serious than that, too. Um, I'm having a hard time toggling. Let's see. That might help. Yeah, let's, let's try that. <laughs> this might be how I killed my laptop yesterday. <laughs> <clears throat> Moving right along. Okay, okay. <laughs> All right, last one. Okay. Um, <laughs> uh, trying to get to the next slide here. 
The, the next case study that I want to present um, uh, is, uh, comes from Argentina. So we're shifting our sights somewhat uh, from jerking to uh, flogging, or, or, or more particularly, um, oops, I lost one here, <coughs> floggers, uh, who are named after their flogs. Uh, a flog, for those of you who don't know, is a photo log, right? So uh, a place where you basically are blogging photographs. Uh, it's like Flickr, but, but you actually put generally up, put one per day. People can leave comments, that, that kind of thing. And the floggers have become a real phenomenon in Argentina and actually more, more widely across Latin America in the last couple of years. Um, again, coming back to the question of media topography, uh, it's very interesting, but Photolog, uh, this site that, that, that has you know, contributed this name to, to this sort of subcultural practice, uh, is the um, most popular social networking site in Argentina. Um, so bigger than MySpace, bigger than Facebook is Photolog. Um, it's the third um, most accessed website in all of Argentina after Google and MSN, apparently. So there's that, that's kind of amazing, and, and it, it ends up proving significant in a sense because what happens is, you know, when you've got so-called digital natives really driving a lot of this practice, you know, they're, they're, it's, 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 it's um, well known that, that, that young people are early adopters, and in fact that the presence of young people, school-aged children in a household, at least in the United States, um, correlates most closely with, with, with you know, rate of having a computer in your house as well as having internet. And so uh, there's something really, really crucial about that, but also there's a, there's a degree to which, well, when you've got young people actually dominating these things and they're these huge national spaces, we, we end up having some of these, some of these, public, these publics uh, uh, clashing in a way. Um, and so this particular 17-year-old um, who goes by the, the tag Cumbio uh, finds herself in the national spotlight, becomes elevated as a kind of national icon, appears on all kinds of um, uh, national television shows, and shows up on the cover of Newsweek with the title Homo Teens. Uh, ambiguidad cool y uh, homosexualidad precoz. You know, precocious homosexuality and, and cool ambiguity. Um, and again, what, you know, what we're seeing here is this, this kind of blurring of, 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 of private slash peer practices and, and public spheres. Um, and and one, one sort of way into that, uh, this is a, a, a term I got from, from Clay Shirky again, is the idea of the mega niche, where you know, at this point you can have something that seems like it's a relatively niche practice or interest like jerking or, or like flogging, uh, or, but um, you know, because of the, the social web, they're able to actually command audiences that are as big as, as big broadcast audiences were uh, in, in the heyday of, uh, of broadcast culture. Um, uh, and so some, in some sense, they're on the periphery. In some sense, they're marginal. And, and, and in other sense, uh, uh, they're not. Um, and, uh, and so that, that, in part, accounts for some of the debates that flare out of these practices. So floggers are really seen as a source of transnational pride uh, as well as national shame and, and sometimes violence. Um, uh, I want to flip to my materials again. Um, here is Cumbio's uh, photo log. Um, this one was just posted, I, I guess, today, right? Yeah, 11.10.09. Um, so it's still very active. Uh, as you see, you know, there's, a place for, there's a place for comments. Um, and uh, they're, they're sort of linked into a number of other photo logs as well. Here's an article from Rolling Stone, Argentina, uh, from a couple years ago, um, or, or just last year, I suppose, 
called the, uh, <clears throat> the Arrival of the, the, the Flogger Dance, the Little Flogger Dance. Uh, and it's an interesting article in that it actually is tying the emergence of flogger fashion, which isn't, isn't just about this practice of posting photos of oneself, but also, again, uh, it turns out to be um, aligned with wearing skinny jeans and day-glow collars and dancing kind of geekily in front of computers. Um, and, and here they actually note that it's inspired by um, Tectonique uh, from France, which is, um, again, another very interesting sort of local, translocal um, dance phenomenon, very much fueled by YouTube. The best of Tectonique video has been, been seen, uh, I think, tens of millions of times. And you can find Tectonique scenes all across the Francophone world, certainly in, in places like Morocco or, uh, uh, or, or um, uh, Madagascar, but also um, uh, outside of Francophone spheres, too. So there's a way in which, you know, being a dance form, it can, it can jump these linguistic barriers in a way. And so you find Tectonique Brazil, Tectonique in, in Mexico and, and, and Peru, and also to some extent, although taking on a new manifestation here in, um, <clears throat> in Argentina. They also tie it to uh, the shuffle, the Australian shuffle, sometimes known as the Melbourne shuffle, um, which is another uh, uh, basically local dance with, with translocal roots in, in the sort of global rave scene that has itself been, been amplified through uh, some of these new technologies. Um, I wanted to just actually use this uh, mainly, though, to show you what it looks like. And here's an example of someone dancing uh, in what looks like a bedroom. There are a couple significant things here. Uh, one is that you never see the person's face. Uh, and I think that's probably, uh, you know, it seems like that would be a purposeful thing. Um, uh, in part, I think it's to focus attention on the feet and the legs. Um, but I think also in part it might be driven by this, this anxiety about the, the publicness of the act, even if it's uh, perhaps been recorded primarily for uh, her friends. So that's the sort of trademark shuffle style. Um, which, you know, at this point we can, we can really trace all over the place, um, uh, including, uh, actually I heard from a former CMS student living in Los Angeles who said he saw what, what he thought were young uh, Mexican-American kids dancing um, flogger style at a club recently. So uh, there might be some flogger jerk hybrids coming up. I don't know. Um, now, uh, The flogger phenomenon, um, as I said, it's, it's a source of, of, of to some extent, of, of, of national and, and or transnational pride in that other young people across Latin America see it and want to do it themselves, see it as a way of sort of being cosmopolitan, of being modern. Uh, and so you find um, flogger uh, videos coming out of Mexico, coming out of um, uh, Colombia, and so forth. Here are floggers bailando electro and Puerta del Norte. I believe this is in Medellin. Uh, Colombia. Um, uh, uh, I'll just show you a clip of it for a second because there are some other trademark things. For one thing, you'll get to see the clips again. You also see that they embed this. They embed this Facebook link, so you can jump right to the Facebook page for Medellin, Colombia, some sort of flogger thing. Um, uh, you see the use of these these kind of you know plug and play effects, which are you know all they need. You also see the the repeated. Uh, uh, announcement that they should really unlock this free software that they're using to, to edit their videos. Uh, which is, it's not so uh, obtrusive on a, on a video recording. There are plenty of jerkin audio recordings I've heard where every now and then you hear this woman saying, AVS audio. You know, it's like they haven't 
unlocked the software yet, but that's all right. Uh, and here they are dancing in a mall, which uh, and here we get some nice yellow day glow skinny jeans. And uh, dancing in a mall uh, is a common place to find this as well. Um, and in fact, part of what drove the Flogger phenomenon was gathering at a, a, at a mall in Buenos Aires called um, the Abasto. Uh, and Cumbio was, was somewhat responsible for, as, as she was gaining popularity on her photolog, saying, hey, why don't we all meet up in real life? Uh, you know, there may have been you know, pockets of kids, but suddenly they had this Flogger community. And so they started to meet up, uh, and that made waves publicly because there was actually some, some fairly large gatherings, some of which um, uh, uh, had some violence associated with them, um, violence that has been framed quite often as a kind of inter-tribal violence. Now, uh, I don't want to go too crazy about the tribal term. Uh, I've, I've found across Latin America that discourse about floggers and about emo kids and so forth tend to use this term tribus urbanus, to refer to them, and I think it's more or less akin to, to Hebdige's subculture, but, but obviously tribe seems to have, uh, or at least in English, it has other kinds of, uh, uh, of more sort of primitivistic connotations and so forth. Um, it's definitely a marginalizing gesture at any rate, and so it's interesting that, especially for public sociologists working in Argentina, uh, the, the people who are interviewed for media pieces about, about these youth uh, phenomena uh, are, are, are generally making sense of it in these terms. But again, you know, there are, there are ways in which uh, the, the, the flog phenomenon uh, is, is really um, far from marginal. You know, it's, it's really quite a mainstream practice among uh, a lot of youth there. Um, and uh, there was an unfortunate incident last year where a, a teen was murdered in Cordoba, uh, Argentina, for apparently looking like a flogger. It's not even clear that this person was uh, a flogger. I mean, it, I, I want to point out that actually flogger, um, uh, this might be changing, uh, you know, but, but as far as I've found, flogger is not a real strong term of self-identification in Argentina. It's a term that's been used by the media to describe what's happening. Uh, but actually, as flogger style circulates outside of the local, um, you see more people uh, sort of grab onto it affirmatively and identify as a flogger in Colombia or in Mexico, um, I think in part because then it is a, a sort of badge of, 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 of cosmopolitanness or, uh, or, or of, of, of wiredness or whatever it might be. Um, uh, interestingly enough, you know, this, uh, this article goes in, into some detail on, uh, again, we get it compared to French tectonique and Australian shuffle and even the Charleston, uh, which I don't see so much, but... Um, uh, and we also see that floggers usually wear tight jeans, canvas sneakers or skate shoes, colorful t-shirts, and a hairstyle which includes a fringe that tends to cover the eyes completely or partially, and the same for girls and boys. And that's one of the big problems with flogger fashion, is that it's androgynous. Uh, and so, whereas we can see some of the jerk kids playing with, with, with racial tropes, in Argentina we see a lot more play with, with gender and sexuality tropes. Um, Cumbio is herself... Uh, has herself identified as bisexual, which is part, partly explains that Newsweek cover, uh, and you know some of her some of her her her, her photos. I, I I wouldn't really hazard a guess at how what percentage do feature her kissing um, kissing girls. Uh, uh, and a fair number of people, though, now will walk up to her and and take a picture with her and give her a kiss. So it's not it's not just uh, you know it's it's, it's friendly <laughs> as well. Um, there was a, I, I, I want to connect this for a second to, to what was described in Time magazine as Mexico's emo bashing problem. There were a series of riots last year in Mexico City and in other parts of Mexico where uh, 
either unaffiliated youth or youth who affiliated with things like punk rock or heavy metal or other kinds of more macho subcultures decided that emo kids were named after the emotional, uh, sort of their emotional orientation or their emotive uh, uh, sort of look, um, were, were singled out and, and um, harassed and, and beaten up in some cases. And again, we see, uh, we see skinny jeans and so forth. And I've seen plenty of comments on videos that say, oh, floggers are emos with a little bit of color. Um, and so there, there is a way, again, in which both you know, the floggers and the emos are, are serving as a kind of public um, badge of a, of a kind of anti-macho stance, but one that is very, that, that finds some, some real fissures uh, in, in a lot of this national discourse. And there, there are a lot of blogs really wringing their hands about, you know, kids these days. You see a lot of this kids these days stuff, and, and you, you see people saying, well, what is the future of this country if this is, this is what we're doing? Or, or, or there, there's a, there, I've seen actually in a couple different places um, in, on some Argentinian blogs people saying, oh, what a generous country we are. We're just, we're just so generous that we will, we will let people live their lives like this. <laughs> um, so, yeah, uh, I don't want to go on too long. So let me, let me try and sort of tie this up for you guys here. I'm really uh, grateful for your attention. Um, if I can transition <laughs> browsers again. Prior to the great crash of 11909, my other laptop would have never done anything like this. Okay, come on. All right. Um, one question I pose here at the end, which is going to have to be an open question, is, well, why, why, why tectonique uh, or why flogging? You know, why are these kids in particular embracing these sort of transnational symbols? Why not rock? Why not reggaeton? And so there are, there are obviously some class and, and race issues to sort out there that, uh, th that I see as sort of new, you know, sort of future directions or, or work to be done uh, as I'm putting this all together. Who's choosing to embrace this, this, this symbol or that? Um, and, 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 and draw the lines of community in that way, as opposed to another way. Um, so, some brave new conclusions for you. Um, you know, one has to do, again, with, with some, some dichotomies, uh, whether we read this uh, as, as utopian or, or dystopian. Um, there's definitely a plenty of, of utopia, plenty of, of, of techno-optimism in, in the discourse around um, uh, the social web and participatory culture and, and so forth. And I want to try to temper some of that. Um, uh, and it's not too difficult to temper some of that, because there, there's plenty that's unsavory about this, this stuff as well, uh, if you will. Partly, it's, it has to do with this, this um, division between uh, participation and, and commercialization. Um, it, you can't draw these lines too evenly, as we've seen the new boys have, have signed a record deal. Um, and, and are, are making good for themselves, but also, as a result, changing the way that they interact with this, with this quote-unquote, community. Um, plenty of people accuse the floggers uh, of, of narcissism, uh, seeing it as the kind of a new me generation where it's so self-focused. Uh, but, you know, the other side of that kind of attention to self and, and projection of self is a cultivation of community. So it's... Uh, uh, <clears throat> not, not always such a clear-cut line. I, I do want to note that the new boys in Cumbio, who were maybe um, the, uh, the, the best examples of, of finding real success um, through these things, uh, well, they, you know, they, they've ended up in funny places. So Cumbio now 
is a national star. Um, she gets, she's got a Nike, a Nike endorsement deal. Uh, she gets paid to go around the country and appear at nightclubs and promote nightclubs. And she gets to hang out with her cohort. And uh, uh, she wrote an, an autobiography. I mean, she's 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 cashing in on uh, on her popularity. Um, as far as I can tell, that doesn't really that hasn't made her an ambivalent figure yet for for other other self-identified or or, or out, outside identified floggers. Uh, in the case of the new boys, I mean, and this has this has very little to do with with any power that they may have even. So I'm not saying that this is a shift in their own values, but um, previously, if you did a search for for um, <clears throat> uh, for you're a jerk, which was their song, um, the, their big hit. You could, you could see, well, here we, we turned up 60 or so videos. Uh, but now you see a great number of these are unavailable. And they're unavailable because, uh, presumably, uh, they've been uh, removed for, for copyright infringement. So when the new boys created uh, You're a Jerk themselves on Fruity Loops and put it out on MySpace and it jumped to YouTube and, 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 and got really popular, part of what made it really popular wasn't just people watching their video. It was people downloading that song for themselves and dancing to it. Right? Uh, dancing to it in a parking lot, dancing to it in, in a bedroom or a garage or whatever it might be. Uh, and, and, and all of that together helped to, to, to elevate the New Boys to a certain level of prominence. Um, once the New Boys get signed, though, uh, then their You're a Jerk gets added to this database of, of songs <laughs> you know, that, that the YouTube audio uh, identification system goes through and removes because that's copyright infringement. Uh, you know, you, you can you can argue with us later if you think it's a fair use, but uh, the record labels said said this is this is what it is. So, regardless of what the new boys might want to have happen with their music, uh, they're in this database now, and so things get removed. And then you also wind up with really surreal things like this uh, video, great video showing some some um, <clears throat> some LA teens dancing to "You're a Jerk," which has now been audio audio swapped. In fact, you see "You're a Jerk" by the new boys, but they give you this option YouTube. When there's a, a sort of copyright takedown issue, they'll say, you can remove your video or you can swap the audio with something else. Here's a list of approved tracks. So, so these guys, instead of losing the video, decided to use this, um, which I think, last time I watched it, uh, a little pop-up at it came up and, and told me where I could buy the song on Amazon or iTunes. Oh, yes, here we are. Piper at the Gates from this fantasy soundtracks thing, and I could buy it on iTunes or whatever. Um, but <laughs> it's a very different thing to see this guy dancing to this than dancing to Fruity Loops music, you know, and, and you're a jerk samples and so forth. And of course, if you look at the comments now, I, I saw one from a few weeks ago where somebody said, what happened to your music? And, and everybody else is joking about how, <clears throat> uh, very enlightenedly, it's African. What kind of African song is this? LOL, no offense. <laughs> um, people interpreting it as looking Nigerian. Uh, I mean, uh, why it got to be African music? Any, anyway, um, so, uh, so you do get some, in, in a certain sense, some, some unfortunate products of that, that unholy alliance between <laughs> participatory culture and commercial culture. Uh, Come on, conclusions. Where'd you go? You know what? I don't need this anymore. Ah, okay. 
So uh, I, I've, been, I've been toying with this idea about digital flaneurs, uh, to what extent we might use that, that term from, from Benjamin um, uh, and, and Baudrillard to think about the, the, the kinds of public you know, performances that, that we witness in, in all of these places. And I just really focused in on, on floggers and, and, and jerks. Um, but uh, I, we could do this in any, any variety of sites around the world right now. And there are these remarkable threads running through them. Oftentimes, I, I use Flaneur because there is a certain kind of conspicuous uh, uh, dimension to, to, the, to the clothes, to the, to the, to the style more generally. Um, there are a number of things that are going on here that I, I think are, are interesting. One is, is, is really the, the role of dance in all this. It's, there's so much dance happening, and there's so much dance in these scenes that I'm looking at. And I think, actually, that's, that, that's significant because it is about still embodying culture in an age when so much of it happens on this screen. Uh, and so uh, that's something I want to sort of con continue working with, too, to think about, again, the, the sort of connection between the, the cyberspace and, and the meat space and actually how these things get mediated through embodied culture. Um, I, I've, I've talked a lot about private-public blurring and, and, and the mirror stage. Um, something I want to develop more, both, both ethnographically and, and theoretically. Um, this idea of fluid and flexible and playful selves is not new per, per se, but the way that that might be um, affected by or facilitated by internet practices is, is I think, interesting and, and worth pursuing further. And then, of course, the, the, the ways that these network publics, these, these, these networks of, of participatory culture, um, end up, because of this weird private-public blurring, intruding, in a way, on wider publics. And we see, we see the products of that intrusion in, in, in some of the uh, <clears throat> comment threads and also in, in unfortunate uh, occasional uh, outbreaks of actual violence. Um, as I was saying, a lot, of, a lot of young people have been seen as early adopters. Um, and uh, I, what I wanted to say here is that they're not so much in need of encouragement. I think we see plenty of, of courage in lots of ways uh, here. We do see a sort of brave new presentation happening, but, but, but more in, in terms of facilitation. So if we are looking at these, um, at these practices, at this kind of uh, participatory culture uh, through the social web as, um, uh, as important, as worthy, uh, uh, as valuable, then there are some policy implications with, which have to do with, with both education in terms of uh, to what extent we, we actually you know, teach these technologies uh, or, or, or prevent people from using them in schools and libraries. Uh, that was one thing that the DOPA Act a few years ago, although it didn't end up passing, was, was attempting to do, uh, was, was to remove the ability to, to participate in these spaces uh, in, uh, from public institutions. And that's a serious thing because it's not, it's not um, uh, although especially in the United States, we don't really talk about a di digital divide so much anymore. Um, and even the question of a participation gap uh, is, is, is sort of up in the air. What really drives that participation gap more than anything is the access to, to broadband internet. It's not race or class or, or region per se. Um, and, and so that's an important thing. And that, that relates to, to net neutrality, of course, as well as some of these proposed three strikes laws, you know, three, three strikes against the copyright um, regime and you're off the Internet. Uh, you know, that, 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 that actually was, was, I think, was passed in France recently, and they're talking about it in other European countries. Um, 
I saw an article last week uh, written, um, uh, it was an op-ed in, in a European paper saying that, you know, in a way we, we have to think of the internet as a human right. I mean, this is access to, to the world. It's access to information about, about healthcare and government services and, and everything else that, that, I've, that I've talked about today beyond those sort of basic needs. Um, uh, and so there, there is a kind of policy um, aspect of this as well. And a, a lot of the other work on digital youth culture gets, gets more into that than, than I do. Um, and finally, I'm interested in, in investigating further some of these values. I mean, one, one clear value that emerges is a kind of openness about sharing and the way that sharing serves as an anchor of community. Uh, and, and we see that both in terms of what people are willing to put out there, um, you know, tutorial videos and so forth, as well as just putting themselves out there, sharing what they're doing. Uh, and I say, you know, see, for instance, YouTube comments, right, that there are also these nice affirmative sort of peer, peer in-group um, uh, comments and so forth, um, uh, and that we're seeing, you know, savvy media co-producers, you know, uh, young people increasingly being able to read media uh, in, in a more critical way, in a more informed way, in part because they understand better how, it, how it's produced and because they're, they're, they're now um, able to participate in its production. But this isn't always the case. And I say, <laughs> see, for instance, YouTube comments, that we also see a lot of ways in which the lines of community are drawn very starkly in, uh, you know, in terms of saying, well, this doesn't fit. You shouldn't do that. Uh, or, you know, you know, for that matter, in seeing young people reproduce uh, ideas or, or categories of, 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 of race or gender or sexuality uh, that are less challenging to the status quo, right? We, see, we certainly see, see plenty of, um, uh, of young women, um, you know, uh, sort of uh, assuming the, them, themselves as the object of the gaze and, and doing, you know, there's a lot of booty shaking videos on YouTube as well. Um, uh, and and that, that's, that, that has some troublesome aspects and it's, you know, it's not all, it's not all cheerful exactly. Um, it's not all uh, a cause of celebration, um, uh, and so there, there's, there's a lot to sort out here. Um, there's a question mark next to conclusions, because I don't have any conclusions yet. This is all still very much um, work in progress, but I, I wanted to share some of it with you today, um, and uh, I, I'd be really grateful to hear any thoughts you might have, uh, any questions, and I, I mean, I'm around, so um, uh, let's, let's talk beyond this forum, but uh, thank you very much for your attention today. Well, certainly let's have some questions and discussion now as well, so we open the floor. Oh, uh, that's a great question. A variety of a variety of things, right? Um, uh, this audience in particular. Well, I mean, I'm as I said before, I'm I'm I'm, I'm thrilled to be at MIT for all kinds of reasons. One, though, is the the, the technological focus of my work these days, and I, I feel like if there's any community that that's able, a sort of intellectual community that's able to uh, help me think through some of these issues, it's here. Um, uh, that, so that's one answer to your question. Another is um, uh, that the, despite this seeming um, that, that, that these mega niches are actually popular, it, it's, not, it's also still probably under the radar for a lot of you too. So part, part, of, part of what I, I speak here today is to share this with you, to let you know that it's happening if you don't already. And because I think that some of these performances which I find challenging to all kinds of ideas about uh, race, class, and nation, and sexuality, and, and so forth, aren't just challenging to 
you know, moronic YouTube commenters, but, but maybe to, to, to us in this room as well. So I, I feel like there's something useful about actually sharing some of these performances um, with you, uh, and, you know, in this context. Thanks. Introduce yourself too. Christina. Um, I'm Christina from C4FM, and uh, my question is sort of, you know, I, I was fascinated by your uh, media topography that you laid out. I thought that was a really interesting way of looking at it. Um, but I, I couldn't help but notice, you know, MySpace, YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, correct me if I'm wrong, but that's wrong, run by the uh, other kind of groups, right? Um, yes. So uh, it's interesting that everyone's doing this participation, you know, like there's a lot of participation, there's a lot of uploading, but um, mm -hmm. do you think it's a problem that there's not? Yes, I mean that's. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean that. I, I without, I guess, obviously, I, I have a lot of my own values that I that I'm reproducing in this talk and, and trying to wrestle with in this talk. And um, yeah, if we're going to really value participatory culture, we should be talking more about the platforms themselves being open and 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 independent of these commercial interests. And you know, one thing that we see with the removal of YouTube videos is that these are really sort of unstable and and. Uh, uh, Things and, and things that are outside of our control in lots of cases. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, I, I think that's a that's a great question. I you know I haven't. I, I think that we can bear witness in a lot of this to um, young people learning really useful skills, especially for producing multimedia content. We don't necessarily see uh, as much in the way of, of coding and you know other kinds of skills that might allow them to 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 do a, a little more innovation in the realm of, of platforms and so forth. I mean, I'm sure the kids who are doing MySpace hacks, quote unquote hacks, are learning HTML and, and some of that sort of thing. Um, but it's not on the level of uh, of you know everybody using uh, Linux or you know using some open source Twitter instead. So um, yeah, no that. that Boy, you know, I'm not. I'm not sure that I have. I mean, dance Jam, for those who who don't know, is a. Um, it's it's like a YouTube, but focused on dance. It's a sort of social networking site around dance videos. And and you, uh, some of these dances that I rattled off earlier, you can go and, and find them. And in fact, the New Boys had a contest on Dance Jam, uh, where they they you know they they. Uh, they challenged people to do the best dance to their song, and they got quite a quite a number of responses. I think Dance Jam is that run by MC Hammer, incidentally. Yeah, um, <laughs> who has kind of reinvented himself in in, in some interesting ways. Uh, I'm going to have to think more about that and, and keep my my eyes peeled and I'm, uh, ears peeled, and I'm, I'd be curious to hear about. It's hap isn't it happening though on a smaller level in uh, building specific sites for these mega niches? So it might not be as big as a YouTube, say, but for instance, that radio that you were showing, yes. the Jerkin Radio. Right. So there are other examples like that that do provide more uh, social networking capabilities or more, and they're still um, somewhat dependent on other platforms, but not as dependent necessarily on, on the Twitters and YouTubes and the Spaces. Right, yeah. That's true. And they depend a lot on sometimes on the server spaces or for share or stuff like that. No? 
Yeah, no, that's the thing. I mean, a, a lot of this is is a, is a bit more improvisatory. That that people are more willing to use these kind of end user products or, or to use third party hosting things instead of bothering or, or paying for server space on their own. And so, but something like the Jerkin Radio or like Digital Drift, which I I couldn't call up because it was down today, and I don't know why it's down. It could be down for a number of reasons. Um, but uh, but issues like stability or or like uh, you know. Uh, being the target of, of the copyright cops and, and things like that do, I think, end up preventing people from getting more into that side of things. Uh, Joel? Uh, well, I, I was just going to piggyback a little bit and say, like, <laughs> as you asked your question, it's sort of a question that I think a lot of us will have, which is a kind of old subversive versus conservative question, right? Like, is this undermining or is it promoting? Um, sometimes I feel like I'm not sure why I'm asking that question anymore, <laughs> because um, because the game is up, right? Like the end of history. Yeah. Well, no. Well, I mean, in a way, but like, I mean, what you're describing, we can't really talk about like uh, a kind of infrastructure on the global level mm. that's not problematic from the perspective of people critical of, say, late capitalism, mm -hmm. right? Um, to have that kind of global infrastructure, you're pretty much going to have to rely upon entities that have massive amounts of money. Mm -hmm. and the ability to circulate globally in certain ways. Um, which sort of leads to my question, which is um, uh, which is a sort of Marxist question about base and superstructure here. Like, is are you talking about in, in a kind of mutation in the industrial infrastructure at the corporate level, let's just say, um, that results in a different public sphere? And if so, like, is that public sphere, how is it articulating itself? And is it a superstructural effect? Like, what kind of public are we talking about? Mm -hmm. um, is it, I mean, here I'll go back to a slightly older version of this question. Is it a good public? Is it a bad public? Is it a public focused upon the circulation of primary visual ciphers for identity? Um, are we after kind of alternative sexual spheres? It sounds like a lot of these kids really just want to be on TV in a way, right? So I'm just asking, like, yeah. is the superstructural reorganizing itself around a different, like, way of, getting the means of production and circulation, that I find relatively convincing here. It seems like something's shifted in the technological order of things. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering what the kind of superstructural effect of that is for being public. Yeah. Well, that's that's a that's a great question and a big question, I, and and there were a lot of there are a lot of questions in there. No, I. I um, but I'll try I'll try to respond. Uh, you know. I mean, the, the sort of public sphere discourse does often come around to, to the Frankfurt School, right, and to uh, Adorno's critique of, of, of how, you know, popular culture and, and whether, um, uh, whether one could ever find a sort of politics uh, in it that, that would challenge um, the base, as you put it. Um, it's, it's obviously an unsettled question. You know, in this, in this uh, sort of age of the social web, we do see a lot more production um, as opposed to, to, to it being a read-only kind of culture. And, and I, I think we're, uh, at least I, I find myself um, um, reading that uh, as, uh, as different in a way. On the other hand, we, we, we see terms like user-generated content. And so we see the way that act, these, these practices, these forms, these performances get, get folded right back into the system uh, to, to be used by YouTube, which is Google, uh, you know, to, to drive people to their sites and, and that sort of thing. Uh, and so it does connect well to Christina's question, which is, yeah, I mean, what, um, how, 
how far can we go in arguing about the subversive qualities of these things when, um, when in the end you're still using commercial services? Yeah, that's really actually why I was trying to shift to the like base superstructure language, um, not so much because I'm older Marxist, it's because um, like I think if we start thinking about like what what is the nature of being public here, mm -hmm. we can escape potentially the question of like is this a good or a bad way of being. Yeah. Well, it's also this question of, of value. I mean, you raise the question of values, for right. example, too, and sort of what values are being encouraged here and this idea that they just want to be on TV. I mean, there, there's something like, on the one hand, it's very new and participatory, and we use these words community and, and, and ground up and grassroots and independent, and yet, you know, once they get signed, their stuff gets taken down, you know, and then she gets the, the Nike you know, uh, endorsement, endorsement and, and so that, right, then you've made, like, is that where you get to, right, mm -hmm. and in some, at some level there's this danger of buying into the celebrity yeah. notion that what started out as, I'm going to do it myself and I don't need NBC to get me there, becomes, if only I can get NBC, you know, becomes that record deal, mm -hmm. right, that which is always the complaint about the music industry that, you know, it, it takes away from that right. other thing. Yeah. Except that these instances of people getting signed and finding commercial success are really the exceptions, as opposed well, to, that. That's you know, that that when we look at the, you know, the, the broad amount of practice, it is people doing it not for monetary reward per se, um, uh, you know, and and I'm not sure, you know, being on TV, I don't think that means the same thing that it used to, you know, I mean, I don't even think that a kid would say that. I mean, they would say that if they meant on yeah, TV. No, no. <laughs> Two questions. Oops, we, oh, we got a lot of questions. Oh. <laughs> well, let's do, we'll, we'll do a few more questions. Exactly. Let's let's uh, start up here and then we'll go back to William. First, I just want to say your question is awesome, and I think it really points to like the education system and like would you ever see this in a school and this kind of energy? And so I work at Project Media Literacies, and this is the kind of stuff we look to to be like, wow, what if things like this were going on in schools? But my question is actually, in your own research, how much are you looking at sort of the other side of this coin, which is the actual in-person social stuff that goes on. Mm -hmm. And just from like, I used to live in Crown Heights, mm -hmm. and I saw this all the time, the skateboard culture around right. this. There's like, uh, like you're seeing the crews and meeting up at these kind of local function halls and doing dance-offs and stuff. Mm -hmm. Are you gonna look into that and do sort of like, in, to do meat space <laughs> ethnography and that um, sort of thing? <laughs> like, how do you sort of incorporate that actual in-person social, because it's yeah. probably a whole other oh, half of it, of right? course, uh, not 70% of it that's right. going on. Yeah. On, on the ground. That, that, I, I, I agree with you. And, mm -hmm. I, and I think it's a crucial site. And so far, I haven't done nearly as much of that as, as scanning the, the, the digitalia. Uh, and uh, um, on the other hand, uh, you know, I, I have read a number. I mean, there, there's really an emerging number of, of ethnographies of, mm -hmm. of this kind of thing where they are talking to people and not just looking at their YouTube pages. Uh, and so, I, I mean, there are some valuable insights coming out of that. I would like to do more of that. And I, I you know, part, part of it uh, is, uh, and maybe I'm just not looking in the right places, but I don't see a jerk scene in Boston, or not, not a jerk per se, but I, I'm not, I see, I see kids in skinny jeans and, and day glow colors, um, but uh, as far as I know, right around here, there, I haven't seen anything with quite the same amount of, of, of critical energy. Um, that shouldn't stop me. Huh? Well, New York is not far away, and there's there's no shortage of critical energy there. Yeah, no, um, and uh, you know, uh, my my dissertation work was definitely informed by a lot of on the ground ethnography, and and I do plan to do more. But I also hope to be able to 
draw from other people who are doing that kind of work. Yeah. But yeah, no, it's a really good question as to whether is that the other half or is it, you know, what... what how, how much of it is that, the in-person type of, like, walking around the street? Because I, I would say they are very subversive in person. If you're walking around in a neighborhood, you know, um, in Brooklyn, they stand out. They the skinny jeans kids, yeah. It's mostly the more thuggy style, and then mm -hmm. they're walking around getting called names and right. called and, out. It's yeah. very subversive, I would say. Good. William, you want to dive in? Oh yeah, just to speak to the uh, basic recite structure problem and the kind of <laughs> prison house of, uh, of network technology <laughs> of big media. Uh -huh. I mean, what I actually what I find really inspiring in this is not so much this, but the historical precedent of really big media, TV, right. um, American Bandstand or Soul Train, where the local, the subcultural, the kind of irrepressibility of 16-year-old and 17-year-old culture was manifested in much the same way, hmm. which is to say the jerk and the mashed potato and the watusi and these really quick right. ephemeral, you know, ephemeral dance modes that were local. I mean, you knew it was from Philadelphia or you knew it was from Chicago. Yeah. That was bound up in costume, behavior patterns, uh, gestural modes on the dance floor, embodied. I mean, many of the things you're saying, and in a moment of the, the most massive form of TV we have, broadcast TV, three-channel TV, right. that 16 and 17-year-old cultural form was not a top-down set of instructions. This was in many cases, probably it was selected for sure. Sure. But there's also a selection process here that's kind of interesting, and the mechanisms are different. Mm -hmm. But it's to say that what I find really uplifting at the end of a long day, or it feels like a long week, <laughs> yeah. is that irrepressibility of certain forms of youth, youth culture. Mm -hmm. that's, that's striking. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, thank you for that. And I, it, it reminds me that there's, there is a, a broad historical context to put this in, and not just one that's read only versus read write, but that, that sees other moments where there's. Um, some influence over mainstream culture coming out of that irrepressibility. Yeah. Hi, um, Hi. my name is Stephanie. I'm actually from History of Art and Architecture, uh, but I watch these videos. <laughs> 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 um, and uh, I was wondering if you, all of the kind of case studies you've given us have uh, focused on groups that would be, you know, in academia considered traditionally marginalized groups in some way, you know, non-Western, non-white, et cetera. And I was wondering if you, in your research at all, because I haven't even tried to look at this stuff, yeah. but if you um, find anything similar or parallel in a kind of non-marginalized, I mean, I don't really want to put quotes around that, yeah. um, community, like why are white teenagers, do they have a YouTube video culture? Mm. Um, and what your thoughts on that might be. Mm -hmm. Because I think like the interesting thing about this is, or one interesting thing about this is that there's kind of a almost mono, a global monoculture of this kind of fashion and dance um, that you only get through the internet, mm. but, and which, which kind of suggests, you know, that this is post-racial, post-national, or post -national, post everything, right, blah, right. blah, blah, but that that still is, as far as like I understand it, um, like framed from the U.S. point of view mm -hmm. as like kind of a uh, marginalized culture itself, or yeah. like a culture that's coming from yeah. what we would call that. So I'm just wondering. If yeah, I mean, like I mean, uh, suburban white YouTube use is. Yeah. Well, I mean, there are there are. There are white jerkin crews from the suburbs of LA, but that's not exactly what you're asking about. I, I, I get that. Um, you know, 
Uh, and I, but I also want to note, though, that um, both the Jerkin kids and the floggers are, they're really middle class phenomena, generally. And, and part of that's maybe not surprising when you think about this level of access to devices and, and computers and broadband and, and that sort of thing. Um, on the other hand, there, you know, uh, although there hasn't been quite enough work on this yet, there, there's some fascinating things. I, I, did a, I gave a paper last year at Harvard uh, in, a, in a workshop on, on race and culture convened by Orlando Patterson about the, the, the so-called participation divide. Um, and one of the things that I, I found, although there wasn't, there's not enough, uh, exactly a, a, enough data to, to make a strong argument about this, is that actually young people of color seem to be more frequently producers of content as opposed to just, you know, sort of accessing it and, and watching it. That there seems to be a slightly higher rate of that. Um, uh, and I mean, it's 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 not like you can't find YouTube videos of, of suburban kids in rural, you know, middle America who are by and large white um, doing their own things. Um, they're not as interesting to me, and, and uh, I mean, <laughs> but, but, you know. I mean, you don't see, like, a lot of, there's not a phenomenon of, like, all 15-year-olds and their, like, garage band, like, in a traditional, like, 60s garage band thing, posting their videos to YouTube. Well, I'm not sure that that's true as much as maybe we're not looking for it, you, you know? I mean, I, I you, you can watch, you know, frat boy videos till the cows come home. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I love that scene. <laughs> no, so I mean, this is really—it's really big. I mean, part of it is I think it, it's becoming increasingly difficult to talk about a mainstream or to tease out these lines. Not to say that we're in any kind of post-racial. I mean, I, I, hopefully, the examples that I showed showed that race and gender and, and sexuality are still quite strong dividing lines. They, they unite communities as much as they divide them. But. Um, but I think we are seeing, to some extent, a dissolution of a mainstream. I mean, what, a mainstream was always a constructed thing anyway, based on broadcast culture, right? And so now, I mean, we, we just, we're, we're sort of swimming in, in trillions of pixels, and it's, it's a, uh, we find ourselves in niches and mega niches, and it's not as easy to, to counterpose that to some, some sort of mainstream that, that, that's coterminous with suburban white culture or whatever it might be. Um, but I would love to see somebody do a project on <laughs> middle American white YouTube culture, you know. <laughs> sure. You get that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. um, among others. I mean, there's one thing that I don't think I can even touch with the 10-foot pole, but uh, there's, you know, there are all these videos of, of white girls in their bedrooms singing really salacious rap songs. Uh, and, um, or, you know... Yeah, I, but it's really hard to do some of this work without looking like a voyeur, <laughs> among other things. Um, so, I, you know, there's, there, there's that. But you can find it. I mean, you, you can definitely find it. Uh, was that, if there's just one more hand, maybe we, we, should, I, I think, well, we, maybe we, we can yeah, move it. I know there's more questions. I'm sorry to, to cut it off here, but at least we're going to go to the reception next door. Wayne's available. I have one last uh, thing I wanted to say, which I meant to say in the uh, introduction and neglected to, which is that... Having Wayne here, we owe a thanks to Music and Theater Arts. Yes. Uh, that they made great efforts uh, to get Wayne here uh, and uh, had, uh, with it, were it not for the uh, circuitous aspect of some of this postdoc program, uh, uh, I might have we'd be sharing more officially, but we're <laughs> sharing unofficially, and we just want to uh, thank uh, Music and Theater Arts for their support of Wayne and, I have to say, the support of this talk. They're co-sponsoring this talk, co-sponsoring the reception. Uh, so we will go next door uh, to the reception, and I want everybody to thank, thank you, Wayne. Thank you. Thank you. Let's continue the conversation next door.